would bow with me in prayer before we open God's word together. Uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for this beautiful day. We thank you for this time that we have here to gather together. We pray uh, that as we open your word, that you would lead us, that you would teach us, that you would guide us. uh, As we often confess, we can't do any of this without you. And so we ask that your spirit would move, that you would lead, you would guide, you would teach, that you would encourage us, that you would apply the truths of who you are and what you've done for us. Uh, to our lives, that you would just show us that more clearly today than we've ever seen it before, and that we would leave here uh, just having come into contact with the holy and living God. We just pray that you would uh, do that as we open your word together. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, it would come as no surprise for me to say this. If, if you uh, pay attention at all to the world that we live in, it's not a surprise at all to say that we very much live in a celebrity culture. Uh, you just look around, you go to the, the supermarket and you get in line and there's like 20 magazines that talk about uh, what every celebrity's doing and who they're dating and what they wear and all kinds of stuff. And we are inundated with that. Uh, you can flip on the TV or you can go online and you can see there's, there's whole networks devoted to basically celebrity news. Uh, if you go to like a major news site now, uh, online, you'll see that they actually have a section that's just devoted to what celebrities are doing. Uh, we're so much of a celebrity culture that we actually have celebrities now uh, that are famous for just being famous, right? We don't even know why they're famous, right? But you go, who is that? And they, oh, well, they had a, a reality show and they did that. And, and so it's not even uh, an exceptional accomplishment or something. We just have people who are famous for being famous. And that's kind of the way our society is right now. It's all over the place. You see it all around us. Uh, the sad truth is it's actually made its way uh, very much into the church today. Uh, we, we now have celebrity pastors, uh, celebrity authors, Christian celebrity authors or bloggers or all kinds of different uh, variations on that. And we see it all around us so much so that I often find when I talk to different people that are professing Christians and I ask a little bit at all about their faith, I often get things like, uh, well, I'm a big fan of so-and-so. Right? And, and they name a pastor or an author or a blogger, and that's the way they self-identify. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of whoever, or I go to so-and-so's church. And it's like, it's almost always we identify, not always, but a lot of times I hear that. Identify people, identify in that way. And so oftentimes somebody will say, oh, I'm a big fan of so-and-so, and I'll go, well, great, what do you, what do you like about that guy? And probably... Over half the time, at least, maybe more than that, I will get an answer like, well, he's really funny, right? Or he's a great communicator, or he's just a really good storyteller, and he's just really entertaining to listen to. And so oftentimes we identify and we talk that way, and that's the way we see uh, the church in a lot of ways. We, we don't identify anymore uh, necessarily with the denomination or a specific local body, but it's with the person. Or, or this celebrity or this person and this blogger and that's who I like. And so that's all around us. And I start there this morning because we're going to go back to Hebrews today as we've been working our way through the book of Hebrews. A, le- a letter written to the early church that's struggling with a lot of things swirling all around them. Struggling with the hardships of truly following Christ in a world that's not following him and what that looks like. And it's written to encourage Uh, We've been saying that Hebrews, in a lot of ways, is a journey from weariness to rest. How do we rest in who God is and what he's done for us in Christ? 
And so as we've been looking at that, we're going to look today in Hebrews 3 and we're going to see that there's this uh, shadow that's kind of cast over the early church. This this figure that looms, uh, not a celebrity in the way we would say our celebrity culture, but a huge figure that looms over everything in the early church. And so what we're going to look at and think of this morning as we talk about is, is we're going to look at Moses and the way they looked at Moses in the early church and the shadow that he casts and the way that Moses in some ways start to creep to this level that they're actually looking to Moses more than they're looking to Jesus. That, that's the contention. That's the problem that's arising here that people want to go back to Moses about everything. First century Jew, around the time when Jesus came and where we are when this book is written, you could ask the average Jew on the street and they would tell you that Moses is the greatest man who ever lived. Right? You could ask some practicing Jews today the same question and they might give you the same answer. Moses is a figure that stands uh, head and shoulders above so many and the, the, the shadow he casts. It's huge. And so this morning we're going to look at this and we're going to consider why that's the case. And what we're going to see, if you know your Bible, there's good reason that Moses casts a big shadow. Right. There's a lot of reason. And it actually affirms a lot of that right here in what we're going to look at in Hebrews three. But he cast this big shadow that it was almost becoming a hindrance in the early church. Just as I can see uh, wonderfully gifted people today that are seeking to point people to Christ, but their shadow becomes so big that it starts to overshadow Jesus. And so what we've been saying in Hebrews and what we're going to look at this morning, and it's the same with Moses, is we're going to consider Moses, why the shadow is so big, right? Why that's the case, but also there's some problems that leads to. Then we're going to consider why Jesus is better, right? We've been talking about that all the way through Hebrews. We're going to see that over and over. We've seen that Jesus is the better high priest, We've seen he's better than angels. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. And so the, that uh, element keeps coming up all the way through Hebrews. Jesus is better. And so we're going to see why he's better than Moses. And then lastly, we'll just consider why this is really, really important that we see that. And so that's where we're going. We'll look at Moses first then why Jesus is better and then why this is so important for us. And so let's just begin with this idea of Moses. Look at the beginning of chapter 3 here. It's verses 1 and 2. Therefore, holy brothers... You who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. That's a pretty ringing endorsement from Scripture, right? When we start to think about Moses and why the shadow he casts and what's there, and you get right there in verse 2 that Moses was faithful in all God's house. Oh, that that would be what God says to us when we stand before him, that we were faithful in all that God uh, uh, would call us to do. And that's the picture that's here in Scripture of Moses. Faithful in all of God's house. And I want you to start to think about what Moses did in his life. And if you run through his resume real quickly, it's pretty impressive. Uh, Moses was born into a very difficult time when Israel was in slavery in Egypt. If you know that story, you can go back and read that at the beginning of Exodus. Uh, so much so that they started to persecute the slaves, killing the, the firstborn males because they were worried about how quickly they were populating, that they might overtake Egypt. And so Moses has kind of a miraculous story of his birth, how God saves him, uh, protects him. He's put into the Nile River, if you know that story, and he's brought into Pharaoh's house and he grows up to have this wonderful education. And you see all this uh, uh, if. If. Uh, as you read through in Exodus, it kind of lays this story out for us. 
Or like if you have small children like my house, you've seen Prince of Egypt like a hundred times, right? The, the whole story's there. Uh, I would uh, advise reading Exodus over watching Prince of Egypt, but Prince of Egypt's not a bad movie. Uh, but you watch through and you, and you see this miraculous God keeping him and bringing him up and all these things. And then what happens is Moses actually commits murder and goes off for a while. And God really humbles him, uh, protects him, raises him up. And then he calls him to come lead his people out of Egypt. And it's an incredible, miraculous story. You think of all that God did through Moses. He spoke to him and he called him and he said, you're going to go before the most powerful man in the world. And you're going to tell him to let my people go. And I'm going to do miraculous works through you, and I'm going to speak through you, and I'm going to use you. And Moses goes and he does all these incredible things. And in the midst of that, God gives him the first Passover, shows him that image and that picture, which is pointing to Jesus, by the way. Right? He goes through all these things. He leads the people out, the parting of the Red Sea. God gives him the Ten Commandments, gives him his law gives him the plan for the tabernacle and the priesthood that we talked about last week. We started to talk about the priesthood. God did all of these things by using Moses and his faithfulness. And he does incredible works. Not only that, it tells us in Numbers that Moses would speak mouth to mouth with God. That's what it says. That he would actually have conversations back and forth with God. And you go, I mean, just imagine He would go up onto the mountain and sit and talk to God. And then God inspired Moses to write the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch or the Torah. When you read through in the New Testament, they'll often talk about the law of Moses. And that's what they're talking about, those first five books of the Bible. God inspired Moses to write his word down. And so you start to get the resume that Moses has. And it's pretty impressive. So much so that right here at the beginning of chapter 3, he compares them to Jesus. Right? He says, Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession who was appointed and it was faithful in all that he was appointed to do by God. And he says, similarly, so is Moses. Can you imagine? Here's Jesus and he's faithful and he compares him to Moses. Now you think about the image that's here. He says Jesus is our high priest that we looked at last week. That's the intermediary between God and man. We approach God through Jesus. He is our perfect high priest. We talked about that last week. Also apostle here means to be one sent from God. Jesus is the perfect and the the ultimate apostle being sent from God to save us. But you could also apply, although the Bible never directly gives either of those titles to Moses... When you look at Moses' life, he does kind of fit into both of those categories. If you think about it, he was there interceding between man and God. Now, you can say if you know your Bible, you know that Aaron was actually the first high priest. That was Moses' brother, right? And so he wasn't the high priest over Israel. Aaron was. And if you were to correct me on that, you'd say, yes, you're right. But I would also say back to you, what happens when Aaron blows it and he decides to make a golden calf for the people to worship? Right? Who intercedes? Moses does, right? You see him acting as the high priest in a lot of ways in going before God and interceding for the people. When we talk about being sent from God, an apostle being a sent one and going, absolutely Moses fits that picture. And so you start to see that image that's there of all of Moses and this incredible, incredible resume. Right? You can see why people today, you can see why Jews would say, he's the greatest man that ever lived. Look at what all he accomplished and what he did and what God did through him. But here's the problem. 
Here's the danger of a resume like that. When God called Moses, he did this to to bring his people out, to set them out, to show the world what God was like. Moses was never to be about Moses. That was never the plan. God didn't say, Moses, I'm going to call you out and I'm going to do these things through so your name will be made great through the face of the earth. He says, I'm going to do these things and you're going to go to Pharaoh and I'm going to give you these things and I'm going to teach in this way and I'm going to show you so that God's name would be great. Moses was never about, just as Israel was never about Israel. God was using Israel to show the world what he's like, how you approach him to show his law, to show all these things. It was always about pointing to God. And here now Moses, this shadow that is cast over the church, begins to overshadow what God was doing and pointing to, which was always pointing to Jesus. That's what all of Hebrews is telling us. That we started that way. God spoke it many times in many ways through prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, Jesus. It was always pointing ahead to Jesus. But here the shadow starts to overcast and you so you can understand if you put yourselves in these people's shoes, things are falling apart. Things are struggling. They're having hard times. Those things are starting to creep in that they would go. Yeah, we need to look to Moses. It would make sense. You can see how that would be a draw with all that he did and all that God had spoken through him. Today, we'll say we need to to get back to the law of Moses. Right. The Bible. And to that, as a church, who would say, yes, absolutely. God's spoken word. He's he's written it down for us. He's given us his word. It's how we know him and see him. We approach him through his word. Absolutely. We say all the time as a Protestant reformed church, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, by God's word alone, for God's glory alone. Right? That's the pillar of so much of what we believe. And so, yes. But just as the people start to let Moses overshadow, sometimes we can let the Bible overshadow what the Bible's pointing to. Sometimes we become about Bible study as the ends and not a means to the ends. God gives us his word to point us to him, to bring us into relationship with him, that we would see how he is over all. But sometimes we can stick our head into the Bible and become so about let's have more and more Bible studies that we don't actually live it out. Or we start to believe I'm a super Christian because I go to lots of Bible studies. And we become all about this. Now, don't mishear me. You need to be in the word. Absolutely. It's how God speaks to us most clearly. Absolutely. Spend time in the word, but don't begin to worship your Bible. It's pointing you to Jesus. And when we make it all about this, we, we, it runs into all kinds of problems. I've used this example before, but it was so clear to me when, I, when uh, my boys were young, when uh, the boys were just babies, like that age where they're just starting to hold their head up and they're kind of shaky and, you know, that kind of thing where they're not quite strong enough. And I remember walking around with them in my arm and I would show them like trees. And I'd be thinking like, this is the first time they've ever seen a tree, that kind of thing, you know, like become very philosophical when you first have kids like, oh, wow, look. Right. And so I would point and I go, look. Right. And I would tell them and I'd be pointing to different things and they go and they grab your hand and then they'd start staring at your finger and then they'd put it in their mouth and they'd start. And you're like, no, 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 look, look. Right. That's kind of the way we are with the Bible sometimes. 
are the way they were with Moses. Right? God did all these incredible things through Moses to point you to what he's like. And we're so busy looking at the finger. We do that kind of thing all the time. We get so uh, stuck in this. And we get taken with secondary issues and we want to argue about these things and this. And it's like God's going, what are you doing? I gave you this to point you to who I am and my glory. And so we can let other things begin to creep in and start to do that. It's the same thing today we do with our favorite author or podcaster or celebrity pastor. And a lot of those guys are really gifted and really talented, and they're seeking to point you to Jesus and to what he's doing, and we get so taken with their personality. Oh, I'm a big fan of so-and-so. And we can so easily slip into the same thing that was happening in the early church with Moses. We let these shadows kind of cast over, and we make it about all these other things. It's a great professor named Haddon Robinson that teaches preaching. Uh, my brother Jeremiah had him. I have a couple friends that actually had him in seminary. I've read his preaching book, uh, biblical preaching, all the seminaries that my buddies went to. We all had to read that book. And Haddon Robinson, at the end of every year, to his seminary students that have just gone through his preaching class, will, will remind his seminary students before they get sent out. He says, you're going to stand up and you're going to preach God's word. And remember that as you do, you are preparing the bride, the church, for the final consummation in their wedding day with Jesus. And he'd always use that image. That's all the way through scripture. We are the bride of Christ. We will be together with him when he returns. There'll be this wonderful feast as we join with Jesus for eternity. And Haddon Robinson would then say, so when you stand up to preach and you're standing there, just as if you were presiding over a wedding, don't you dare, you would never think to dare start to wink at the bride. He says, imagine what that would look like. You're standing at the front about to present these two together and you're making faces at the bride as she comes up the aisle. Or you're flirting with her as you're standing there. He said, don't you dare do that as someone who handles God's word. Don't you dare seek to win people to yourself by being really funny. If I win you to me, we are in so much trouble. It's only to point more fully to Jesus. And that's what's happening here in Hebrews. They're getting so taken with Moses, the greatest man who's ever lived. And so the author of Hebrews goes, oh, wait a second. Yeah, Moses is great. Right? He affirms him. He was faithful in all God's house, he says in verse 2. But the second thing I want us to consider is why Jesus is so much better. Right? He says, Moses is faithful in verse 2 in all God's house, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more glory than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And so look at what he's saying, that picture that's there. Yes, Moses was a faithful servant in all God uh, gave him to do. But then he says, but Jesus is the builder. He says, just as the builder is worthy of more honor than the building itself. He says, don't you see that Moses is just part of the building? Jesus is the builder. 
And so he makes that example that the one who builds is better than the building itself. I like that analogy. Someone who went to architecture school, and that was my first job, and I love architecture and all those things. And you go, yeah, right? That makes sense. In fact, when I travel anywhere, I've gone to Europe a couple times and gone different places. I love to go and pick. I pick trips over which buildings I want to see. Right? I, there's certain buildings that I want to go to that I studied about and I want to see. Joanna picks trips over which restaurant she wants to go to, and I pick it over the buildings, and then we kind of compromise with each other. I'll go to this building with you if you'll go to this restaurant with me. Right? And so you go, and I, and I imagine uh, probably my favorite building I've been to in person was this building. Uh, they, they deemed it the Dancing House. It's in Prague. It's in the Czech Republic. An American architect, his name is Frank Gehry, did this building, and it's this incredible building that looks like two people dancing. And it's glass and, and metal and all kinds. Of, I like modern architecture. It's very modern, but it's really cool and all this stuff. And imagine being there and being there with Frank Gehry and him giving you a tour of this building he designed. How insane it would be if I started speaking to the building in first person. Right? You're a beautiful building. I really love your lines and your, the way your glass does that, right? And he's standing there looking at you like, what are you talking about? Right? This all came from my mind. I drew this and I did this and I had this built. It would be insane to say that. And so the picture here of the way he points us to it is he says, yes, Moses is faithful, but don't you remember what I just told you in chapter 1? Jesus is the creator of all things, including Moses. He holds Moses together by the power of his word. Do you not see that there's no comparison between Moses and Jesus? The same is true for any of us. Any good thing that we do is going to be because of God working through us what he does, not us. He says, don't you see, just as the the builder deserves more honor and is more worthy of our praise than the building, so Jesus with Moses. And he goes on to tell us, and he says, Moses was faithful in all God's house. And if you push the image further, the language that's used here when it talks about the house or the building, the home that he's talking about, really has to do with a home or a family home. Oikos had this meaning of of a family, right? And so what he's really saying is Moses was faithful in all God's family, but Jesus is the creator of God's family. Jesus is the one that brings us into the family through what he does, not what Moses does. Right? Moses was there to put these things into place, and God used him, but all of those things were to point you to the fulfillment of what Jesus would do. He's the maker of the home, of the house, of the family. It's not Moses. And then he goes on and he pushes further and he calls Moses a servant in the house, and Jesus is a son. And you just see that picture. In their culture, they would know exactly what that means. All things are the sons. The servant is there working under the pleasure of his master. And yes, he gets to be a part. And yes, he gets to enjoy these things. But he's not the son. And so it points us to this picture that's there. Yes, Moses was a great man. And he was faithful. And he was used mightily. But he was only and always ever there to point to Jesus. That's the picture that's there. He says, don't you dare start to let the shadow of Moses begin to grow over who Jesus is. Don't you understand? 
And I'd say that's the same for anyone that you like to listen to or you like to read or you like to listen to their podcast. Make sure that you see they're there to point you to Jesus. Heaven forbid that we start to go, I'm a big fan of this guy over here. Why? All that he has and all that's good and all that's there is pointing you to who Jesus is. And so when we start to look at our culture and the way we begin to elevate people, celebrity, oh, look at this person. Yeah, I know the person who made them. I know the one that holds them together by the power of his word. But yet we get this distorted view and then it slips in to the church. And so the the truth is, any statistics are right. A lot of you sitting here today are going to move and move on at different times. Right? A year, two years, five years from now. That's just the way we, we move in, in this day and age. Right? New job, new place, new things will take you to different places. And so if that's you, and you find yourself a year from now or two years from now or, or 30 days from now moving to somewhere else, please, please, please don't settle for a funny pastor. Don't go find the guy that's going to entertain you that you're so taken with that you go, I'm a big fan of his. Go find someone who says, I'm a servant in the house of God and I want you to know the son and I'm just going to point you to him. Because there's nothing else. He's the only one. And so we let those things overshadow. We're in the same place that they were then. It just looks a little different. And so it's such an easy thing for us to slip into that picture that's there. And so I want to be careful, though, when I say that, because there's a lot of very faithful men that we put on pedestal and we seek to make them uh, celebrities. That's not their fault. That's ours. And so we have to guard our heart in that. And there's a very serious warning that's here. And we're going to come back to it next week. So I'm just going to touch on it. But Hebrews comes back to this over and over. Read the end of verse 6. Right? He's, he's telling you in verse 5 that Moses is faithful and he's testifying to the things that will be spoken later. It says Moses was faithful in pointing ahead to Jesus, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. He comes. He's the son. But then it says, and we are, we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Right? If you stay clinging to Christ, then yes. And so Hebrews kind of walks this line of, wait wait a second, does that mean you can lose your salvation? We're going to come back to this next week, but no. No, that's not what it means. But what it does mean is there's a lot of people that think they know Jesus that don't know Jesus. And I want you to understand how these two go together. And I want to ask this question. I want you to think about it very hard because of the seriousness of the, the warning that's here. Is your relationship with Jesus first person or is it second or third person? Do you know Jesus only through the really funny guy that you listen to on your iPod? Every time you have a question about what scripture says and who Christ is and the way he guides your life, do you run and see what someone else said about it or do you seek him on your face because you know him? There's a big difference. The Bible warns us that there's going to be a lot of people that stand before Jesus and he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. 
And I can't help but think there's going to be people to leave. They go, yeah, yeah, but I listen to so-and-so's podcast every day. And so I just ask, it doesn't mean that God doesn't help you and teach you and point you into a deeper relationship through different... He does. The Bible tells us that. We need one another. God's gifted different people in different ways that help build up the body. Absolutely, yes. I'm not pointing you to that your relationship with Jesus is just you and Jesus and nobody else is involved in that. But what I am asking is, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you know him? Right? There's a lot of people that we think we know because lots of people tell us about them, but we don't actually know the person. There's lots of celebrities in our culture that I read about and I know something about them and I know their background and their history and those kind of things, but I don't really know them. And so I just ask you when he makes this, if we indeed hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope, our hope is Jesus. And this isn't meant to scare you of, oh no, am I saved or am I not saved? No, it's you cling to Christ alone. Don't let it be somebody else. Right? Don't be your relationship with Jesus is through these people over here. And so it's a pretty serious warning that's there, but I also want to encourage you. Jesus says in John 10 that my sheep know my voice. They know me and I know them. And I don't lose a single one. And so you cling and you hold fast to Christ. Not the person who is funny or tells lots of stories or writes great books. Use those in as far as they point you more fully to Jesus. So the last part here is we just wrap up. You know, the end of that says, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast. And so just be clear that when you are clinging to Christ, you're part of his house. Right? And that image there is his family. That you are adopted in. You get the full assurances of a son or a daughter that you are brought in. But it's only through Christ. It's not through any of these other things. And so when we get to the end here and you think, Jesus is better than Moses. Don't you dare come secondhand through these things. You come through Christ. You see how Moses was pointing you to Christ. And so two things I would say, if you are a believer and you're clinging to Jesus, you're going to grow directly in proportion to your relationship with Jesus. It needs to be firsthand with Christ. You need to be growing and pushing deeper into him and looking at how he meets your needs and he alone is good and he alone is gracious and he is the only one that brings you in. I also would say if you sit here today and you go, I don't know what I think about Jesus. I'm not sure. I'm on the fence. Maybe he is God, maybe he's not. I'm not really sure what that means or what that looks like. I would tell you as well, don't let that decision be made secondhand. They're saying, you go and seek, open the scriptures, start with the Gospel of John. We're going to work our way to that starting next week in Sunday school. The Gospel of John was written to show you that Jesus is who he says he is by the person that was closest to him on earth. And so you go and you do that work and you seek him and you ask him and you ask him to show you. Don't rely on someone else telling you, no, he's not or he is. Have that first hand that we would see that Jesus is the one that holds it all together. 
And so as we walk through Hebrews, we're going to continue to do this, but we're going to see over and over that all of these things that were there were pointing us to the fullness that's Christ. And it's Jesus. Right? There's, there's no secret here. I say this all the time, but when you come on Sunday morning, the hero is going to be Jesus. Always. Right? And there's a real simple reason for that. Because he is the hero. That's all there is. He's the one that does it all. So let's pray. God, we thank you for your incredible faithfulness to us, the ways that you love us and care for us. I thank you that in the midst of how quickly we can let other things overshadow your glory, even good things that we begin to turn to and look to, but that you are still there and you are still gracious. You are still seeking us. You are still pulling us back and showing us that it's all you. I pray today that you would, uh, we would leave here together as a people seeking to truly seek you. Not second-hand information, but we would truly be growing in, a, in an ever-deepening intimacy with you because of how wonderful you are, that you are the greatest there is. I pray that you'd help us to see that fully and completely. We pray that in Jesus' precious name. Amen.